Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right, it's that time, ladies and gentlemen. And I've got to tell you, this is probably the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. This is your host, Dave Little John, in studio for the True Wealth Radio Show. Katie is not here today. Now, she already sold this whole thing out. I'm one that doesn't typically uh, announce when I am gone, but Katie was uh, quick to point out that she will be soaking up the sun down in Mexico right now. That's right. So we can all have that little moment of it's not really pity, other than those of you that were really looking forward to hearing from Katie today, a little bit of pity. So we've got some special guests uh, that we'll be bringing in today, but I am going to kick us off today talking a little bit about, you know, we haven't done this in a while, the actual stock market, right? Uh, the True Wealth Show, we talk about all kinds of stuff. Of course, I really am careful about this. I don't want folks to get really hung up on the money part of it, but it does matter. But the problem is that when money becomes a way to keep score, right? There's an old biblical reference, and people get this wrong all the time, just so we're clear, right? It says, uh, See, money's the root of all evil. Not so. That's actually not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's really interesting because everything from politics to personal lives, you, you could say, you know, follow the money. And when that becomes the reason that you do something is exclusively because of the money, then I would question right? But the love of money is the problem. The money's not, right? Money's how we trade our time. It's a resource for and a unit of exchange. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind today, because we're going to talk a little bit about what is going on in the markets. And I want to address a couple of the things that I am just hearing again and 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 so forth. Uh, how many people, and again, a lot of my listeners, you guys are driving, right? A lot of you guys are driving. So you can't, don't raise your hand while you're driving. But in your mind, I'm just, I'm ask yourself this. Uh, how many people have heard that we're printing money, right? And if you're rolling your eyes a little bit, yeah, it's that obvious. And if you didn't know that, then I will say, welcome to the True Wealth Program. We're going to try to educate you a little bit today. But yeah, a lot of money printing. All that stuff that's being called stimulus, right now is a form of money conjuring call it sleight of hand call it what you want but essentially this is the government creating more dollars in the system okay when we get everyone everybody that's eligible starts receiving checks or direct deposits in the mail think about this for a minute where did it come from and in this case the money wasn't just borrowed it was actually conjured, right? That makes it sound like it's a mystic thing, like somehow money is, uh, but but in, in a sense, it's not magic, but our system is built on banks, right? The, because believe it or not, there are not enough paper dollars in existence to reflect all of the currency in existence. Most of you out there are probably saying, well, duh. And then some of you are actually going, in fact, it used to be based on gold and we're not based on that either. So really this currency is what's known as a fiat currency, right? It's government sponsored and it's backed by the full faith and credit of the printing authority, right? In this case, the US government. But it's basically the government's credit that is what makes it 
tradable and usable as a currency. If nobody trusted dollars in the entire world, it actually just becomes paper or digital zeros and ones. And there are some questions about at least the level of trust, not necessarily in whether or not the dollars continue to exist. I know there are some of you out there that are building bunkers somewhere and you won't tell us where they are and you're stocking them up for the end of the world. Um, not a ton of you out there, but some of you that may be listening are like, well, I'd like to do that. And I'm not going to talk you out of it per se, but I'm going to talk to the rest of us out there and say, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy and a statistics guy. So I want to talk about the probabilities here. Uh, what's the probability that the entire system goes under? And what I would suggest is, while it's not zero, it's really, really low. Okay, And so if I had to make a bet on the 999 out of 1,000 times being right, I don't make a bet for the one time. I make a bet for the 999 times. Okay, And that's just good statistical reasoning. Okay, Now, some of you may play the lottery. It says right on there, it's not for investment purposes. right? You don't really expect to win. Right? I don't know anybody that plays the Powerball and is like, man, this is it. Right? Not like you know, you hope, right? And you hope against the odds because effectively the odds are zero, right? I mean, who do, if somebody out there is like, well, somebody wins. It's like, yes, okay, but guess what? Somebody gets struck by lightning too, but it's not very often, right? It's really, really rare. Uh, and in fact, sometimes even trying to create the circumstances to get struck by lightning, you, you don't. Uh, other times it's an accident, right? So it's a fluke thing. We don't count on it as a statistically probable event. So that's what I want to talk about is like the statistical probability that our entire economy simultaneously collapses. And that means that all things denominated in dollars become sort of simultaneously, I won't call them worthless, but let's say useless. Because we saw this in history, right? In our own country, Back uh, around the time of the Civil War, the Confederate states in the South had their own currency. And as the Confederate, it became clear that the Confederate side of the Civil War was going to lose, the currency collapsed. And so everybody that had denominated things in Confederate dollars, it more or less became useless. Now, did that mean all value of whatever was owned in the Confederate South disappeared? No. No, it did not. In fact, uh, there were still tangible real estate and there was artwork and real property and land and other things. And there were functioning businesses. All those things, they ceased to have value in Confederate dollars, but they didn't cease to have value. But they needed to be repatriated into the new currency. Okay, So we need to first we need to distinguish in our minds between value and currency, if you will. And now we need to think about, let's let's play the game of does the currency collapse or does the currency get watered down? Okay, so the idea that the currency collapses, first of all, I think is still relatively far-fetched. And if you ask me why, and again, those of you building bunkers, you're like, I don't, I don't believe you, right? Uh, but you don't believe anybody, so that's I don't I don't need to talk to you as much because you're not gonna no we can't never mind. The rest of you that are like I know a person like that and I've tried to talk to them and it's kind of tricky. 
Okay, we're talking now. Like, I want you to just dial in for a second. So, it has to do with the depth of the financial system. Okay, and this is a in in some respects, I'm using this terminology, and it's metaphorical in nature because the depth of the financial system. We're talking about how much currency is in circulation and how many players are using it. Essentially, when you have lots and lots and lots of people that are all counting on it, there's this phraseology that you act as if, meaning everybody's going to keep acting like it's working, even if it's not necessarily the smartest move. But if everybody plays along, it's almost like that whole fairy tale of the emperor having no clothes, right? But in this case, the reason it's legitimized is because the dollar transcends borders, right? There are other countries that didn't create their own currency. They just adopted dollars. Right now, we, we talked about, right, Katie's down in Mexico, and Katie does not have to convert dollars to pesos more than likely. One, most places will take a visa. And they'll do it automatically. But two, in many cases in Mexico, they would prefer to be paid in dollars because the dollar to them has been at least up until and probably still at this point has been viewed as a more stable currency than the peso. And if you think about China, for example, China still tries to primarily peg their currency to the value of the U.S. dollar. It's getting harder, right? Because 20 years ago, China's economy was, relatively speaking, pretty small. But when the U.S. grows at, you know, 2 or 3 or 4% and China grows at 7 or 9 or 12%, and you compound that over a couple decades, they got big. And as they got bigger and bigger, it's like throwing more weight around, right? Now, China, if they try to peg their currency to the U.S. dollar and their economy is effectively growing faster than ours, think about it as if you had, this is a funny illustration, but I think it's kind of accurate to think in your mind, right? If you just picture two different fabrics, right? One of them is a really tight woven fabric and another one is not quite so tight and you try to stitch them together and then you throw them in the washing machine in hot water and then you throw them in the dryer and one of them shrinks more than the other and it pulls at the stitches, right? And then all of a sudden it doesn't fit right anymore and everything gets all out of whack. Well, that's kind of what happens with currencies. I've used this, illustra this illustration before about Europe too. The problem with Europe is the euro is trying to be a unified currency for all these different countries and they have different cultural values and different productivity. And so it's hard to keep all of those in sync because if one country's growing faster than the other, it's like that group project where one person pulls their weight and the other person doesn't, and you start getting mad at the person that doesn't pull their weight, right? It starts to create some problems. So China at some point can't keep pegging their currency to us, but they still do a lot. They manipulate, if you will, their currency to keep the values in line because it improves their economy because of trade deficits. China trades, we buy more from China than China buys from us. But if their dollars get really expensive, it changes the flow of goods and services because it gets more expensive and then our dollars start looking for cheaper places than China. Well, the entire world is looking like this, right? Everybody's trading things in dollars. In fact, primarily oil has been priced in dollars around the globe. So the dollar is a very, very deep system. And what we know about the dollar is you can conjure up more. It won't be without consequences, right? When you think, I've been I mean, math this out for a minute, right? Think about stimulus, okay? And I'm 
you're probably showing a little bit of my political colors here when I talk about this, but yeah, I don't care. You guys are smart. You'll figure it out. So the first stimulus package comes out and it's about a $4 trillion package when all is said and done. And we're doing payroll protection loans and EIDL loans, you know, economic injury and disaster assistance, disaster assistance loans. And we're giving out direct stimulus payments and we're putting in uh, enhancements to unemployment benefits and extending them out. So I mean, we're just throwing money around, right? Because the whole economy was shut down. And one could argue that that was eminent domain, right? Eminent domain is like, well, the government shuts it down. It needs to compensate for it. Yeah, but where'd the money come from? And it, it was, again, it was either borrowed from future generations or it was conjured up because in a fractional reserve banking system, if you put some money in the bank and they loan it out and some of that money goes into another bank, you know what the next bank does? They loan it out and it creates more dollars in circulation because of leverage. So when you think about how this all fits together, right, uh, where the currencies are going and so forth, dissimilar and the depth of the dollar that's where this all started right all these different countries are counting on it we create a whole bunch more well the pool's pretty deep so if you have a really big pool and you throw you know a cup of water in it you know well you got 20,000 gallon pool and you throw a cup of water in it nobody notices but when you have a 20,000 gallon pool and you pour 10,000 gallons in it it's probably going to overflow but how quickly does it overflow? Well, it depends on how quick the water gets poured in and so forth. But that's kind of what we're doing in the system. So I want you to keep that in mind that we're changing the value of the dollar and its purchasing power is being modified in real time. But you can print the dollars faster than they can integrate into the system. So it can appear initially like it doesn't do a lot of damage. But then, you know, it's it, in fact, what if you pour it all into the pool and what first happens is all the water sloshes to one side and then the wave comes back and sloshes you. That's the bigger concern. So let's use that as our backdrop today because we're going to talk about what's going on in the system and what signs is the system beginning to show us in the markets and as investors, how can we start to position ourselves given all of the shenanigans of money printing? And what does that mean? But we do have, speaking of money, we're going to have to take a break for obscene commercial profit first. So let's do that. And then we'll come back and unpack that more. And we've got some special guests to join us and we'll be talking more with them as well. So we'll be right back. Until then, this is David Littlejohn and you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn. And today, uh, first, we uh, we don't have Katie in studio, but that's okay. I bring in ringers when Katie is not here. We're talking about just the, the markets at large. And the first question, and I'm, I'm addressing some of the questions I hear a lot of right now. And one of the questions I get is, you know, what's going on with, we, basically, we got to have inflation, right? And that's the question, right? We got to be having inflation, right? Because of all this money printing. And so we're going to unpack some of that today. Uh, uh, joining me today, a special guest and buddy of mine, Mr. Barry Robinson. Well, thank you, Mr. Little John. And this is the best Tuesday I have had all week. I knew it. I knew it. 
And that is fantastic. Well, delighted to have you join us, Barry. Uh, I always enjoy spending time with you and getting to talk shop here. Uh, I know that you are also uh, in, a, in a different segment of the financial industry, right? But a lot more involved with the in the real estate markets and the, the transactions thereof. Uh, you know, this is your chance to subtly plug. Oh, right, right. Well, I am with the Mayor Title, a real estate title and escrow company, and we do close real estate transactions. Yes, and even insure them, although mm -hmm. rarely do you pay out claims because you're so talented. That is true. The industry protects what I call the integrity of the public records. So we fix things as they come along so that they won't be a problem in the future. Yes. So at the break, I was giving you the, we were talking a little bit about sort of the opening monologue, right? As uh, I went on my diatribe about people's distrust of the dollar and how, yes, dollars are being conjured up. And again, I continue to use that term conjured because they're not printed, right? The printing presses are not mechanically printing a lot more dollars than they ever have. But there are more dollars in the system because digitally they can sort of wave a wand and create them through the lending system. And it was interesting to me as you were talking about that conjuring that if you think back, 2008, the federal debt, um, debt was about nine and a half trillion dollars. Right. By the end of 16, it was nearing 19 trillion. By the end of this year, we'll be approaching 30 trillion. Yes. And a big portion of that was all in 20 in the early part of 2021. Correct. And but if you think of that math in that short amount of time, oh. to take the entire national debt that started when our country was founded to 2008 and have $9 trillion and then now have $30 trillion, that's just phenomenal. To now, me. here's the statistic that will just really raise an eyebrow. If, if you've somehow gotten comfortable with the idea that our debt has escalated so much that it's now well above our gross domestic product. It used to be that the, the major scenario was if your debt exceeded your GDP, right? So GDP is gross domestic product. That's imagine all of the economic activity in a year in the United States. So all the transactions, all the money that's generated. And if the debt that our country held was greater than that, then people were that thought that was a problem. Now to give you some perspective, when Greece began to default, their debt to GDP, and I'm pulling this from memory, so somebody might be able to fact check me on this one, but I believe it was about 1.4 to 1. So Greece had 140% of their GDP as debt. They did have a dissimilar problem to the United States because they were part of the euro, and they were continuing to get sort of bailout from funds from the European Central Bank but they were unable to pay their obligations back, so they became this growing credit liability to the entire Euro system. At some point, the European Central Bank said, we won't give you more credit, and that meant the Greek government had to essentially sort of default on bonds, and then they had to go through something called austerity, right? They're gonna have to reduce all of their government spending and programs and tighten the belt, and it was a really painful process for them. And I seem to recall that around 2011, 2012, that that was going on. It was post 2008, right? Here's the statistic, though, that'll really creep you out. Have you looked at the Federal Reserve's balance sheet? Because that doesn't show up as part of the debt. Right. 
right? And the Federal Reserve, and again, I'm pulling some of these numbers from memory, but the Federal Reserve was purchasing, uh, I think that they had about an $880 billion balance sheet going into 2008. And today it's something over $4 trillion. So the Federal Reserve has taken their balance sheet and increased it by 400%. So uh, it's even more than the national debt has escalated on a, on a percentage basis, not on an absolute basis, but still, those are the dollars that are more or less conjured, <laughs> or, or, or more so, right? I mean, because the economic productivity is based on leverage. Right, and that's one of the things that's been great about our country is that we've been able to outpace that spending, in a sense, by growing our economy because we are such a productive uh, society. Um, still, even today, the United States is the most productive economic engine in the world, even though our per economy capita, per, per capita, person, yeah, right. per person. So as China's overall size uh, approaches our GDP, uh, they also have what seven many, many more seven people, times yes. more people than we do. So we still pretty, which is still pretty interesting statistic when we still outproduce the world in everything that we do because we are a very productive person. But the more we weigh it down with these conjurings, it affects productivity because it affects capital markets, it affects a lot of things for us to be as effective as we are. Right. So let me ask you the question on everybody's mind, Barry, because I'm curious. Uh, do we have an inflationary backdrop? It seems like we should, but, but. every stat that comes out, we don't. And again, it has something to do with productivity, because mm -hmm. if you outpace through economic activity uh, in production, uh, that helps with inflation, because we're, we're spending more to get more, uh, but we still get more. And, and, but everything would point that direction, because wages are going up, house prices are going up, interest rates are going up, taxes are going up, all these things right. are going up, energy costs are going up, we're flooding the market with currency. So what are the indicators that we don't have inflation? Well, again, things get cheaper because we produce them more effectively. And so in a, as a percentage, so if you look back in time when, let's say, your household food bill, for instance, as a percentage of your overall income, it's lower today than it's ever been. So that percentage. So our discretionary spending in this country as high as it's ever been. We have uh -huh. a higher amount to spend on other stuff, which we are spending on that other stuff, but the basic things we don't spend as much money on as a percentage of our income. As a percentage of our income, there is uh, a lot of truth. And the luxury items in our lives continue to actually go down unless they are specifically brand luxury items, right? So uh, as a percentage of income and so forth, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, and we have advantages in this country, too. Our fuel costs are still the lowest in the world. In the world, yeah. Um, we still have the highest reserves. In the, I mean, our energy production in this country is incredible, uh, how much we can produce. Yeah. Our and food production. And we're declining in our energy usage. So we're getting more efficient in, in how we use energy as well. Yeah, I, I, I marvel when I go to the grocery store because I, I think if you ask some young people, say, where do our grocery, you know, where do the stuff come from? Oh, the grocery store. They don't see the supply chain, which is this right. behemoth 
of millions of people and equipment and technology providing us all those goods and services. And they do it very efficiently and at a relatively low, low price compared to the world. If you go to Europe, fuel prices are really high. Go to Europe, food prices are really high. You keep doing that. So America has some built-in advantages that nowhere else in the world has. It's true. So when we, so I'm going to throw a couple things out there because I think this is very thoughtful analysis. And here's one of the the key statistics right now that I, it's not reflected in the Federal Reserve's money, I'm sorry, in the Federal Reserve's outlook for inflation, okay? But I think it's relevant, and it is the cost of health care, okay? Now, it will be really difficult for anybody to argue that the cost of health care has gone down, right? I don't think that that's the case. But what was fascinating is, I don't know the statistics yet, but when the individual mandate to purchase health insurance was eliminated, how many people stopped purchasing health insurance and how did that, and if they're not spending it there, did that create discretion in other areas of their life? Yeah, and that would be a good point. And the people that didn't buy it, did they in a sense really need it? Because the mandate typically affected the youngest amongst us, the healthiest amongst us. So without forcing them to buy a product that they weren't using, that does free up money for other things. Yeah, certainly for them. Now, actuarially, if I'm an insurer, like put all the young people right, we on, need right? Them in there. Put the people, <laughs> yes. yeah, make them pay because they don't use it, right? Yes. So I, I, we just need the funds in there to load balance. So I know why it existed, but nobody likes to talk about how the insurance works. They like to talk about the politics of it. We need everybody covered and rah, rah, rah. Uh, and, you know, I like to... To mention to folks, it's important that you get under the hood of some of the claims that are existing out there. So we're going to get under the hood a little bit on this inflation question, because Barry, I think you've unpacked something really important, is that the metrics appear that inflation is at bay. The dollars in creation imply that inflation should be on the horizon. What is the market telling us, though? I want to talk about it, but we have to take another obscene profit break first. So let's go ahead and knock that one out. Right? So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Lots more fun just around the corner. Till then, this is Dave Littlejohn and Barry Robinson. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. Uh, stoked to have you here. Special guest in studio, Barry Robinson. And if you are just joining us, check out the podcast. It will be posted tomorrow at littlejohnfs.com, as are pretty much every show we've ever done. So I know in all of your spare time, when you're thinking to yourself, self, I need to figure out more about the financial system. And I'd like to get some insight into the personality of a financial firm in the community. Well, there you go. But Well, and I've said this before, David, you are a brilliant financial person and a brilliant person in just general. But those podcasts are really good. I go back from time to time and listen to some of them because you always pick up something new and it's really interesting. Well, I'm blushing. It's flattering. Thank you, Barry. Uh, it, you know, it's interesting in that the whole philosophy behind this show, and I don't hide behind the fact that we are a for-profit organization. We serve 
small businesses and individuals. We help with retirement and financial planning. We do comprehensive stuff in general. So you know, everything from the insurance and um, liability management side of things to the retirement planning and end of life and, and asset trends, like the whole thing, right? Because your, your money is really a lifelong journey, right? Again, it's how you trade your time, but it's also you're directing your wishes through it. And in some cases, you're even propagating your value system with it. So there's a lot of elements to it. And I don't hide from the fact that we do that, but this show is not so much about trying to convince you, the listener, that you need to hire us, okay? And if you feel so compelled, by all means, 541-375-0898, right? That, you can call. We'll, we're happy to plug? talk to you. That's not even shameless. That's a totally <laughs> shameful, like, right out there plug for the business. And you can go to littlejohnfs.com also. Now, it's... I want to give you guys good information. I know you, those of you out there listening, though, there's lots of people. They always have an agenda. Look, our agenda, the reason I come, right, I come clean with it is, look, if it's the right fit, it's the right fit. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or you're working with somebody else, I want you to have this information because it, it, my, my core belief is if we all make better financial decisions, that propagates and ripples through the system and makes a better system for everybody, right? The, the bad decisions are the ones that, create the damage in our system and we see people that make terrible financial decisions and then they become dependent on the system and it creates a problem for the system right and we see the system have problems dealing with those terrible decisions right and so if we can improve out of the gate it makes everything better and that's what i really believe in i mean and that's i'm not making that up or trying to give you size sunshine or anything there was a point in my career where i thought man there's not enough to go around i better be worried about competition and I need to make sure I stand. No, that's not how it works. Okay. If you're not getting help from, if you can't do it yourself and you're not getting help from us, get help from somebody, find a good fit that you like and trust that's competent and can do the job and get, you know, the study after study shows that bad decisions are the, the most dangerous thing. It's not how much, I mean, how much you pay for something matters, but your decisions are often far more costly than the advice, than the advice you're paying for. Well, you remember right? I used to be a banker and my first lender that trained me said nothing ever goods for making a bad loan so you think in the moment maybe you're helping this business by making them a bad loan well they're going to go out of business they're not going to be able to loan the money back and they're going to be in a deeper hole so it's more important to educate them help them along help them get to a place where they could borrow but saying yes right in the moment wasn't the right decision if it was going to be a bad loan absolutely and i think that that's that's so telling i mean the reality is Good decisions propagate more opportunities for good decisions, okay? And, and that's, that's also why being transparent with people. I, I'm not a fan of the poker-style negotiation where nobody wants to say where they're coming from. Like, a good deal is one where everybody agrees that, okay, we're all you know, reasonably on the same page here and we can move forward. It's fully disclosed and it's not sneaky stuff. Well, that's another great thing about our country is that the pie gets bigger. We don't have a zero-sum game where someone has to lose for someone else to win. Right. The pie is bigger and bigger and bigger, and we just need it to keep growing bigger and get your percentage of it. But it's not a fairness. It's not a us this versus them. It really is that the pie can get bigger, and we've proven that with our system of capitalism in this country is right. that our pie has always gotten bigger, and now, it's led the world. So the beggar, you know, they used to say when the U.S. got a cold or a sneeze, the world got a cold. It's not per se that way now because we're not quite as much of the world's economic 
engine because the rest of the world caught up a little bit right. to well, us. Right. Well, post-World War II, we were it. So right. it gave us a pretty good head start. But culturally, the value system to this day shows, again, pound for pound, how productive the United States is uh, per person. Right. I mean, like we're just it, really incredible. And I appreciate you bringing this up, Barry. The pie gets bigger because we keep creating more value. We keep innovating and creating new things and conjuring up value that wasn't previously in existence. Or, you know, maybe we're unlocking the value. That, that'd be the Socratic method, right? The value was always there. It just hadn't been discovered. Right. I don't care what your philosophy is. The reality, though, is that as it gets unlocked, it creates more opportunity for everyone. And so finite thinking is one of the largest problems that we have in the because it's not a zero-sum game right it, you can have win-win scenarios and that's what we're shooting for not everything's a competition that requires a loser well i remember when the government broke up uh, the bell system ma bell the phone company at&t yep. and everybody just cried because of the demise of that great company but look where we've come since then yeah. now personally the iphone or whatever matters not to me but Look where we've come and look at the economic activity of that one little change from having a monopoly to having it where others can compete in that market mm -hmm. just a billion times fold right. <laughs> increased our productivity and our enjoyment of life or what do you want to say. But it's incredible yeah. the pie that got bigger because of that one thing. And if I could encourage more people to expand their thinking and hopefully understand that very point it would make a material impact culturally, right? It'd be a big impact for the country if folks would recognize more that the idea that we need to create monopolies is problematic. I mean, there's there's this trend right now, and believe it or not, I'm not trashing our government. The government actually does some things right. As much as we like to talk about things that are not right, there are some things that the government does well. But government monopolies of things create problems because there's not a counterbalance to correct for problems, right? The private sector, when there's lots of competition, naturally weans out the bad actors in a sense because the superior actors get noticed, right? And that's part of the key is that you want a balance of competition in the marketplace. It manages wages better. It creates more opportunities. It creates innovation. It gives consumers choice, which gives you better price discovery. That's a fancy way of saying that it helps get to the right price rather than having a price that was artificially fixed. Monopolies are bad news because one player does everything and there's no competition. They can set the price wherever they want. It makes the the what they're selling way less elastic, right? It's like an all or nothing. You either can afford it or you can't. Oligopolies are just as bad in my opinion. I mean, they're not quite as fully bad, but they're close because they can act, walk and talk like a monopoly. It's just split amongst a few players. So good robust competition is the key transparency and price discovery and this is my issue anytime the government comes in and makes it so that you don't know what something costs right like healthcare is a funny one the doctor doesn't know what it costs right the doctor can perform a, a surgery a surgeon can do a surgery and they don't know what it costs until after somebody tells them because all these weird contracts and they're all opaque at best if not completely black box and they're one-sixth of our economy and so, yes, you will have problems when you cannot have natural price discovery. And people will say, well, healthcare's, you know, not it's not a commodity that should work like that. So, yeah, it is. 
you should be able to know outcomes and things like it's important that it be transparent um the only time and it's a little tricky you know power companies get sort of these government sanctioned monopolies and they don't they don't work great they work okay because we don't want to have power lines everywhere and non-standard delivery of power but that's one of those examples where the government's not fully dysfunctional that's not what i'm saying i, I, I again i don't think the government does all things bad i don't think we need 17 versions of nasa right right um but i also think it's interesting if if it's economically viable the private sector will compete for space travel and we're actually starting to see it in the 1960s that was science fiction today it's really happening so it is interesting to let the natural forces play out. But every time we intervene, uh, sometimes, you know, a, a little innovation fund is useful. Uh, having clean water, I'm a fan. <laughs> you know? So I'm not suggesting get rid of the government. And if, if you're like so Jeffersonian that you think we should all just fend for ourselves, I'm like, I disagree with you. I like emergency services, and I like that everybody drives on the right-hand side of the road. I don't like you cruising in the left lane, and if you're listening and doing that right now, stop <laughs> it. Okay? But you get the idea. So, Barry, let's get back to business here. It was a totally off the, but an important philosophical diatribe, right? The pie gets bigger. Right? Don't be afraid of that. Now, do we have inflation? In some sectors of the economy, I think, but overall, it does not appear at the moment. Right. Will we have inflation? If economics in the past are any reflection of the future, we should. And how do you feel about unemployment? You'll tell me right after this break. We got to take our last one. I know he's all like, what? Don't worry. I'm going to give him a moment to collect. And Barry's going to tell us all about unemployment and how that factors into inflation when we come back. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Barry Robinson. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show on the home stretch today where we're covering ground. Catch the podcast to catch up at littlejohnfs.com. It'll be under the Educate tab. And if you're not sure where it is, you can call us. We'll point you to it, 541-375-0898. Uh, joining me today in studio, Barry Robinson. Thank you, David. Um, so when we last left our heroes before the break, I asked you what is a loaded question. Right? And to be fair, it's a loaded question. So I want to uh, help our listeners understand you know, the Federal Reserve influences interest rates. And I use that term because while they can set interbank lending rates, they actually have only so much sway over the investor who ultimately decides what they will pay for a bond. And therefore, they ultimately control the interest rate curve. Right. So supply and demand is at play here. Well, the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. On the one hand, they are supposed to try to target inflation at around... 2%. Correct. They are also trying to target an uninflation rate of around 5%. Also correct. You are brilliant. You are brilliant. And these two objectives can be a little bit at odds at times. All right. Now, you discussed how we don't see a lot of inflation categorically in many areas of the economy. Now, I would suggest there are areas that we do. Right. right. I think 
housing prices are up significantly. That makes sense because access to capital, you know, you can take you can get a mortgage at really low rates. Right. And buy more house. And that's what's interesting too. So is there true inflation in that? The price of the house is higher, but your cost of the house is lower because of interest rates. If you're a borrower, now if you're paying cash, you're just all in. Right. It's a higher priced house. But if you're borrowing money, your actual carrying cost of that home might actually be lower than it was even three years ago, even though you paid six or seven or 10% more for the house than you would have a year ago. Definitely true. You have more purchasing power per dollar today than you did in 2005. And I know because I got a mortgage in 2005 and it was about 6%. And the amount uh, to carry a 6% mortgage compared to a three and a quarter percent mortgage is material. You know, that was probably a difference of 30% lower actual payment. But there are a couple other things at play here. COVID, right? Uh, when you have a moratorium on eviction, okay? So that puts a supply constraint in the market. So supply in the housing market is exceptionally low. Yeah, inventories are historically low. Yeah, and, and so also the availability of new places to build, limited. The raw materials to build, extremely expensive, right? So I would suggest that it could be that the raw materials themselves are quite inflated for a home. Correct. You know, so commodities, uh, relatively speaking, are inflated. Home prices, again, if they're not inflated, my question is, how much more purchasing power do people have? Right? So the actual earning capacity of people. Now, strangely enough, that appears to be increasing. Right. Right. So how does employ unemployment factor into this? Well, you mentioned it just a moment ago, supply and demand. Yes. As there's more demand for labor, the price of labor goes up. Yes. Therefore, inflation can come with that. Yes. So that dual mandate that the Fed has puts a pressure, upward pressure on, on employed people, meaning that those wages are higher. However, if those people are more productive than the wage that we pay, then we're still in a good position. And that's when we get into conversations of minimum wage and what's the right price. And like you always say, you know, money is just what we exchange our time for. Right. What's and, the value of the job and so forth? Right. You, know, you can't really fix, you can't wage fix any more than you can price fix without having economic repercussions in the system. Right. So un unemployment or employment, I, I prefer to look at the employment number. There's still lots of people, people working. Yeah, still 90-something percent employment. Yeah, so it's a big number still. So therefore, those dollars are still being circulated. And even in the COVID time period, some businesses are thriving. True. And then other businesses aren't, obviously. True. And, and But we're all looking for employees. Uh, I don't know a business right now that I'm associated with that does business with me that's not looking for employees. Therefore, that's raising the prices of employees. Because, again, it goes back to the... The main thing economics taught us right. in school was supply and demand. And this is also one of the interesting theories around how to get wages to go higher. And this, I'm not saying this is accurate, but it's an interesting theory, is uh, unemployment created a disincentive for certain people to go back to work. Correct. And right? that was a challenge Which, last year. Definitely. Yeah. So it was hard for businesses to find employees because it was better. they were better off not coming back to work, which then leads businesses to ultimately reach 
to pay more to get those people incentivized to kind of come off the bench, if you will. Now, I will say that good workers can almost write their ticket most of the time, right? I mean, to a point where if you, if, you know, you're not going to get paid double what the job is worth uh, when it's easy to get somebody else to do it. But, it, you know, labor is a commodity. It's, it's supply and demand for the job that needs to get done. Uh, people tend to assign a lot of personality to it. But yeah, that's, I don't think, how it really works. Uh, I mean, I guess in your office it works. Like they care about you because you develop relationships with your coworkers. But on a macro scale, looking at the whole country, your personality is not part of what you're supposedly paid for. It's the job. The job demands a certain amount of compensation or people won't do it. Yeah, and we have to have a certain amount of production for those wages we pay or it doesn't make sense for a business to have that position. Absolutely. So... With all of this as a, a backdrop, what is it, what's the interesting thing about the employment rate or unemployment as the converse to that? And it is that when you have lots of unemployment, you do have demand destruction. And that's the, the counterbalance to the inflation argument right now. My sense is the market is telling us that there's inflation on the horizon. The 10-year treasuries begin to creep, creep higher. We're seeing uh, some slight increase in the volatility index. The cost of hedging is uh, very interesting, not for low volatility names, but for high volatility names, it's always been high to, to hedge. Uh, the market's not panicked yet. The market is simply flattening, like the, the, the rate of increase seems to be slowing down because the multiples people were willing to pay when interest rates were super low seem to be shifting as interest rates appear to be drifting higher, but they don't look like they're out of control by any stretch. So I do not see this cataclysmic event occurring yet. What I don't understand is how much longer can we go before all the, the money conjuring does affect us? I don't know the answer, but we'll keep watching. So I know as investors, you're like, what the heck kind of cliffhanger is that? <laughs> but sorry, the music's playing and we're just going to have to come back next week and talk about it more. So Barry, how do they reach you guys? Uh, Mayor Tattle at 672-6651. We're at 1495 Garden Valley Boulevard in the big, beautiful brick building that we built because we believe in this community. Good stuff. Well, we're out of time for now. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Barry Robinson. And you've been listening to True Wealth. Thanks for joining us on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.